I do my best to live a healthy lifestyle. I try to get out there, work out, break a sweat when possible. I'm not necessarily a fitness or a, a wellness freak, but I'm just trying to be a little bit healthier every single day, which is where Sun Warrior comes into play for me. It is a plant-based, eco-friendly, performance-boosting, all things brand that I want to talk about. And it's their active nutrition line that is something that I've been messing around with over the course of the past couple of months. And it's really working out for me because with protein, creatine, pre-workout and hydration, these products are designed to optimize your performance. And I'm always up for optimizing any aspect of my life, even boosting my own energy reserves or being more hydrated after a long day in the gym or on the golf course. It really does turbocharge my recovery. It's something that I really take seriously and it's real nutrition for real life. So go check out sunwarrior.com and use code FIRST. Welcome back to the First Cup Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Kyle Porter. I'm Chip Patterson and Sean Martin, PJTour.com, friend of the show, regular contributor here on the podcast, joining us also uh, from the center of all the PGATour.com conspiracies. Sean Martin, how are you doing? (laughs) That greeting gets me every time. I can't tell someone's ripping up one of your toenails or if you're kicking off a podcast. I punch the air as I say it. Oh, I jump every time. Uh, how you doing, man? Great. Now that I'm here with uh, you two fine gentlemen. This uh, this this felt like a good time to check back in with you. Obviously, the um, the the goat was not able to uh, to get it done and defend his 2014 title at Memorial. Um, but I didn't. I didn't know Matthew Wolf was in the field. But honestly, but I also give Sean Martin some. Uh, I, I give Sean Martin a, a little piece of the Patrick Cantlay stock as well because I feel like you also have been uh, with uh, this 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 podcast host over here in terms of beating the drum for him for a while and and you know some of that might come from pedigree we we referenced you in the last show as we were trying to figure out where he stood among the amateurs and so in the wake of Patrick Cantlay's memorial win you know what what are some of the things that are standing out to you in terms of not necessarily what you saw from him in the specific tournament but sort of what we are seeing in Patrick Cantlay a star on the rise yeah, I think honestly, the Memorial is kind of just a sense of, you know, finally he got that second win. Uh, you know, he won at Shriners and, and obviously he's had to wait much longer than we thought he would have because of, you know, especially the back injury that kept up for years. I mean, there was a time where he might not play golf again, it looked like. And then, you know, he wins Shriners. Nice event. Get that first one off your back. But, he, you know, Alan Shipnuck tweeted it on Sunday that it just feels so wrong for Patrick Kelly to have one PGA Tour win, and especially, you know, 2017, yeah. he makes it to the Tour Championship at like 12 starts, has a really solid 2018, and then this year he was a top 10 in like more than half his starts, uh, top 10 in the first two majors, and so it's just like, you know, finally. And then for it to be at a class event like Muirfield Village Memorial, uh, where you have a good winner's list, you get to greet Jack uh, off the 18th green, and, and apparently he's, you know, got a little bit of a relationship with Jack Nicholas, but it's just, it kind of fits for Cantlay to win this event because, and then they referenced it a lot, but in 2011, he won the Nicholas award as a top player in college golf. He got to meet uh, Jack Nicholas, get the award from him. A couple of days later, he qualifies the U S open. 
he's low aim at the U.S. Open, and then a week later, he shoots 60. So, like, when he was at Memorial in 2011 to get that award, he was, like, just in the midst of that run of establishing Patrick Cantley as, like, almost an unprecedented amateur of, like, a, a guy who we hadn't seen the likes of in, in a long time. And then in the eight years since, so much has happened that it was nice for kind of to come full circle and, and him to get that trophy. What was his uh, pre-college pedigree, Sean? That's that's the thing we were discussing. Because, I mean, obviously in college he was awesome, and that's easy to sort of find data on. But what what was what did he do uh, in like amateur golf before UCLA? Yeah, so he was good. I mean, he was playing like the big AJGA events, uh, playing those majors. But there was another school in California that he wanted to go to, and they didn't. Uh, offer him a, a full ride and so that's how he wound up at UCLA so he was a guy that there were some size concerns he didn't hit it super far he was a little bit small um, so he was a guy who everyone kind of knew was good I mean to get to go to UCLA it's a strong program you're obviously a good player but it wasn't like you know speed where it was like Oklahoma State or Texas you know contending tour events at 16 everyone wants this guy it was uh, he didn't get to go to his first choice and then really kind of even in 2010, before he started his college career, he made it to the semis of the uh, USAM. That's kind of where I first got keyed in on him because it was a really kind of star-studded semifinal group. And then but with Patrick Cantley, it was kind of like, who's this guy? And a little bit of a surprise. He's just coming to his freshman year. And, you know, maybe it's just a guy who got hot. Uh, but then he pretty quickly established himself because by the end of that college season, he was the player of the year. Was that the Chambers Bay USAM? Yeah. So the, your semifinalist, you had Byung-Yoon on, who was, actually going for back-to-back USAMs. Um, and then it escaped me who it was. Oh, Peter Uline and David Chung, who were the one and two ranked amateurs in the world. So you had the defending US amateur champion, the top two amateurs in the world, and then this kid coming into his freshman year at UCLA. Well, and the thing that we, you and I talk about is the, um, I can't, was it 11, the Aaron Hills USAM? Yeah, where he was runner-up to Kelly Kraft, uh, which that was, almost kind of a surprise. I mean, Kelly Kraft has turned into a PJ tour players, had his card for a few years, but, um, that one can't really fell behind early. And it's funny. It kind of shows his demeanor. He's very level. And I, uh, being from California, one of my friends from childhood worked for his instructor, Jamie Mulligan. So I kind of gotten to know Patrick and his family and the teacher a little bit, but like five or six holes in, I think if he more Patrick was like three or four down and I hear this voice behind me go, there's a lot of holes left. And I turn around and it's Patrick, like just talking. I guess he was talking to me, but just I was like, "Oh, I was like it's kind of a you're four down or for the USAM." Like, but he was pretty chill about it. He he did make that comeback, but ultimately uh, the 16th hole, that short par four that Brooks birdied, uh, and yeah. somebody won. He made kind of a mess of that. It was very uncharacteristic. He laid up. It was drivable. Uh, laid up with an eight iron into a bunker and just made a mess from there and basically lost lost the tournament there. I, I, I love that. I love you're in your head talking trash to Patrick Cantlay at a USAM, by the way. Bro, well, I was you're like, four, I was da- you're four down. I was flabbergasted. I didn't know what to say. I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, there are. And I was like, just, he just wasn't phased at all and just had such supreme confidence in his ability that he was like, that he wasn't a fluster. He's like, I'll make my comeback. So the supreme he, confidence means that Patrick Cantlay in his head fully understands that he belongs in the space where he's at. And so like pit, pitch to you, the, the primary sort of conversation point that we talked about afterwards is, do you think that Patrick Cantlay is a star or a superstar? 
uh, I mean, I think the only thing that's going to separate him from being a superstar is that he is super low key. Uh, so he doesn't really do social media. You know, he's not very, um, he's kind of like Brooks. He's not, he, you know, he doesn't live for press conferences. He is, he's very smart and he's got a kind of, you know, understated witty sense of humor to him. And, and he gives good answers when he's asked good questions, but also, uh, and I've, <laughs> he's giving me a hard time about this, but when I ask bad questions, but you get, no answer in return, which is probably deserved, but he's just a guy that he's not going to be a superstar probably because he just doesn't, that's not his style. He just wants to play good golf, uh, rack up wins, rack up a resume, but he doesn't really care about doing social media. Um, <laughs> Doug Bergson had a great lead in his column after Memorial that, uh, the PGA tour, my employer, uh, a great organization. They asked the winners to do a selfie, uh, after they win, just kind of explaining what the win means to them. And, and it's a really popular post and does well. His fans like to hear directly from the player, and like Patrick was like fiddling with the phone and trying to hold it right. His <laughs> head was in the frame. Well, also pushed the record button, and someone goes, someone goes, "Oh, your first selfie!" And he just like kind of rolled his eyes. So that's just to kind of give a sign of a very old soul. I would that's love. Hilarious. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I, 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 wa- I want to see uh, a young star who's trying to be forced because he's not really young, right? Are we talking about twenty seven? Yeah, okay. but he's. I mean, as he's I get older, young. that gets younger. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> he's he's young in the sense of like this was only his, I think it was like his eighty seventh PGA Tour start. I mean, we talk about like I don't know the Spieth and the JT and the, I mean, the, like Ricky Fowler's had two hundred and fifty starts on the PGA Tour, and like you look at Cantlay and it's like he missed three full years, like he did not play at all, and, and so we talk no, about him. I mean, being, he, we talk about him being 27, but in terms of like his resume, he's sort of like 25 or 24 in terms of how many events he's played. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, it apparently was, there were questions about whether or not he was going to play again. That's Mm. crazy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, As we start to turn our attention towards the U S open coming up in a little bit, will you be on site, Sean? Uh, I will be, uh, Kind of both of me would be a redux of just the fun times from Seth Page Black. Uh, so that means that y'all will be working out together, getting getting a good getting a good morning session with Joey D, getting your mind right for the day, and uh, box jumps on the beach, uh, baby. <laughs> yeah, we've been we've been giving our wives a hard time because apparently the hotel is located on the beach. So morning beach runs, uh, plyo workouts, <laughs> so we get that high high intensity, get our explosiveness up. Uh, all right, I'll, let, let's. We we will probably have a lot of more time to sort of break down and, uh, and and preview some of the intricacies of it. But just to pitch to you, Sean, like the the for Pebble Beach, when you're looking at you know what the course does in terms of favoring a certain type of player, it's a historic course. We've got the USGA factor, which is always always should be taken into consideration. But like, do you is is there something that you're looking for in terms of like, uh, the a, a, a bomber, for example, isn't going to have the advantage that they're going to have at another uh, course? Are you looking for um like a certain statistic and strokes gained when you're looking for your winner? Like, what kind of player do you think is or isn't going to have uh, some advantages at Pebble Beach? And the biggest thing I think is how small the greens are. So. So the smallest on the PGA Tour, then you take the firmness that you're going to get in California in June. And so in 2000, the field hit less than half the greens. They hit 48 greens. 
Uh, there hasn't been a lower greens hit percentage at a tour event since. Uh, in 2010, you only hit 51% of the greens. So there's two ways to look at it. You're either going to have a, a super elite ball striker like Nicholas or Tiger win because they can still hit those small greens, or it kind of turns into a putting and chipping contest because if everyone's missing greens and nobody's hitting them, then everyone's chipping and putting. Um, so I think you could have a guy scramble his way to U.S. Open just because it's so hard to hit those greens. And frankly, the, but the other side of it, I'm kind of talking on both sides of my mouth, is it's so hard to make putts on that Pebble Beach because there's so much break uh, in in those greens and the Poana gets bumpy. And so you're hitting these like ticklish little three footers that you're starting outside the hole. And so I, to be honest, I don't know. I don't think that, I mean, length isn't going to be a huge asset. So it's not going to be like, um, like best age where like Brooks and DJ, where they might duel it out because they're both really good, but it's not going to be this one where only the bombers have a chance. It's definitely much more democratic, but at the same time, it's always been class winners and class ball strikers that win at Pebble beach. They've had six majors there, five of them won by Hall of Famers, uh, pretty much all guys who are known as ball strikers like Tiger and Nicholas and Watson. And um, Now, Tom Kite was a wedge wizard, but then Lanny Watson's won a PGA there, and he's a ball striker. So I don't really know, but I think it'll definitely be more wide open than, than Beth Page. I would probably lean towards ball strikers. Spieth's going to win, isn't he? I, don't, I mean, are we there yet with the, with the ball striking? I mean, he fits the scrambler aspect, but... It's just so hard to make putts there. Like, you're not going to do what he did at Beth Page. The greens were so flat. He putted great because you put Jordan's teeth on flat greens and he'll make everything. But I just don't think – I know well, Tiger one-putted a bunch, but I just, you can't get on a crazy putting run there, I don't think. No, but but the, the, the way you presented that, I was thinking more about, like, it's the whole thing where if everybody's going to miss greens, then pick the, pick the best scrambler. And he – I mean, that's – kind of what he's doing right now like again like the last three weeks or his last three tournaments have been and it's something that i've talked about it's been smoke and mirrors it's been putting it's been chipping it chipped in like five times at memorial <laughs> it was only like three it was not five it felt like 15 <laughs> but he did memorial it was the ball strike is getting better he was making progress i think as the week went on agree there is a little more width he, at a. Uh, he still finished 62nd in approach shots at Memorial. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. But I don't know. You were sort of talking me into it with the, um, with the scrambling and the chipping thing there. Yeah, but, I mean, you do look. I mean, like, DJ was basically going to win that thing. I mean, he just gagged it at the end of 2010 just because he was inexperienced. But um, I don't know. I, I – as I went through that whole diatribe, I think I'm leaning more towards just class ball strikers. Yeah. Because the, other no, thing I, too, the, the, the greens are so yeah. small, but you don't have to go flat. You just have to hit middle of greens, you know, 20 foot, 30 foot. So which I think is great for Brooks because Brooks has that discipline. He proved it at Shinnecock to just hit in middle of greens and, and be patient and take your, you know, take your chances when they come, but not force things. Um, yeah. So even though it's a shorter course, there's also like no reason to believe, except for the fact that it'd be insane if he won, to think that Brooks won't be up there again. Well, who who is? Are you just who is that class? Just off the top of your head, handful of the best ball strikers right now uh, in golf. Mm, I'm thinking of one guy, especially a guy where it helps if no one's making putts. It definitely helps in big time. The man from Japan, <laughs> <laughs> Hideki. <laughs> <laughs> it fits perfectly for him. <laughs> Who else? Uh, Come on, man. 
Hold on, I'm looking up. I mean, Kayla's up there, honestly. Yeah, Hideki's slowly working his way uh, back into form. Cantlay so uh, tweeted today, him and Rory, the only two guys who are top 15 in both strokes gained off the tee and strokes gained approach. Uh, Cantlay's also in the top 30. This is this is like Patrick Cantlay perfectly. He's the, the only guy with, with Adam Scott uh, who's top 30 in all four strokes gained stats. So like there's like Cantlay, there's nothing you think of as like, you know, you think of DJ's bombs it, Brooks bombs it. Steve, great putter. Let's say there's nothing you think of as like amazing with Patrick Cantlay. He's just really good at everything, and that's kind of Patrick Cantlay in a nutshell. So stro- strokes gained on approach shots. Here's your top ten: uh, Stinson, Sergio, who's missed six straight uh, or seven, seven straight, straight major cuts. Uh, Keegan Hedex is fourth. Uh, mm. Rory's fifth. JT Kucher, Jason Kokrak, Patrick Cantlay, Emiliano Grillo, and then Tiger and Kepka are eleven and twelve. It's a group. It's a crew. DJ is uh, 17. Where's Rory? He's fifth. Mm, that's right. I uh, don't see Rory winning here. I, I I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm not, where, where are you at with Rory, uh, Sean? Uh, like personally, professionally. Both. <laughs> let's go. Let's, let's go personally first, professionally second. Uh, let's, I mean, professionally, I think Rory's like such an enigma, right? I mean, what is it, like nine top tens and 11 starts or something, but kind of backdoored it at Bethpage. Um, I I think that – I don't think Pebble's great for him because it's not a place where driver A is necessary and then B really is a huge advantage. So I think that uh, he doesn't – he just – he's handcuffed. Right. So, I mean, the courses where he's dominated, you know, is a lot of it's because he's blasting driver at Congressional and at Kiwa um, and even at Valhalla, like big golf courses where he could just, I mean, what his driving is on, it's a separator, it's a difference maker. And it's just not, you just can't do that at Pebble. TPC Sawgrass. Forgot about sure. that one. Yeah. I mean, well, it did play a little bit longer this year. In March, it plays longer. So that did help. He was able to drive a little bit more. But, I don't know. I mean, his open record recently has not been good. No, he's missed. Front of me, but. He's missed the last three cuts. The last cut he made was Chambers uh, when he tried to. I think he backdoored a top ten there. Uh, he tried to shoot like a thirty on the back on Sunday to to win it. But um, that's when somebody reminded me. Didn't didn't Louis Oosthuizen shoot an eighty in the first round and finish like third? Seventy seven. Seventy seven in the first round. That's yeah, unbelievable. And then, I want to say he shot 29 on the final nine. Uh, yeah. He like, hold out a 120-yard shot for birdie uh, after pitching out of a bunker. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Um, okay, one other thing that I had for you, because I know this is your sort of wheelhouse, is what sectional qualifier stories stood out to you? There was obviously a lot going on on Monday. Uh, our boy Shane Bacon didn't get in. That happened a couple weeks ago. But uh, just – what stood out to you in terms of guys that qualified for Pebble? Um, I'm really excited about Colin Moore Colin making it. I think he's, I'm excited to see what he does as a pro. Uh, tweeted yesterday, when he was 19, he was like in college, and he shot 63-63 on the weekend of a uh, web.com event to get into a playoff. Uh, he lost it to Ollie Schneider jams, but I mean, for an amateur to play the way in the final two rounds is, is pretty good. Uh, it, the, the Twitterverse exploded for Luke Guthrie, which is a crazy story. Um, 
it's been a while now, but like when Guthrie came out in 2012, he went gangbusters, finished second on the web money list, just 10 events, flirted with the top 50 in the world. Um, and then kind of things just progressively got worse. He lost his tour card, kind of sliding down the web rankings. And this season in May, he was outside the top thousand in the world ranking. He'd earned just 1500 bucks on, uh, the web.com tour, wasn't getting to events, was kind of, you know, you're starting to think about what's going to, I'm going to lose my web.com tour card. I got to go to Q school. And if I don't do well there, I'm like in Canada, maybe at best. Um, and he's had top tens and three of the last four starts. And then he medaled at the Columbus, uh, qualifier, which is full of tour fields or tour players. So that one's pretty cool to see. Cause it's been a pretty, you know, a guy who came out with the world on fire, fell off the map. And now, uh, is kind of doing the same again. So that's a cool story. Um, just kind of going down through the field. Big Stu. You don't have as many. Big Stu Hagestad, uh, for sure. Zach Blair, that was another one that was popular with the Twitter sphere. Um, I t- jokingly tweeted at him that he'll be like the first guy to win the U.S. Open after playing 36 at uh, Cyprus and Paso Tiempo the day before it starts. <laughs> um, just because he's known for hitting up famous golf courses. Uh, he goes and, and plays tour events. Um, Austin Eckert. Your boy, my, uh, my guy, yeah, pistols firing, yeah. Excited uh, about Hacker that. Wrote a crazy story uh, for the California one. The Shun on UK is like the third ranked player in college golf this year. Kyle wouldn't have noticed because he only saw Matthew Wolf. But this is the uh, this is the Arizona State kid. I I know I know this stuff. I got it. Chef uh, Shackelford wrote this cool story about one of the kids from uh, the qualifier in California. Is Andreas Halverson. He's from Norway. He's boys with Victor Hovland. Uh, yeah. He he's playing the Latino America Tour, and two weeks ago they played an event at Tijuana Country Club, uh, and. So he's like, oh, I'm going to play the California sectional qualifier because it's nearby. Just hop across the border. It's easy. Well, it turns out that was two weeks before the qualifier. Then last week they were over like on the other side of Mexico. So anyways, he had to like catch a flight. He landed in California at like 1 a.m. Monday, got four hours of sleep, played the two golf courses without ever having seen them, uh, shot 69-65 to get in the U.S. Open, and then like was on a plane at 9 o'clock that night to go fly to the next Latino America event. Wow. I think people sort of underrate like that is so difficult. I mean, you I mean, we were joking about it earlier. You and I are like a mess if we don't get like seven hours of sleep, like for, you know, five straight nights at like covering this, not 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 just playing. It's like that's so hard to do. That's it's insane. Yeah. The day after majors, like I'm complaining about like the 12th hole that we're playing 18 holes of casual golf. I'm like, (laughs) I just want I just want to go sit down somewhere. This guy just played 36 holes and just open on the line. (laughs) <laughs> oh that's good stuff is this the um, first time that sean's been on since uh you beat him up in new york kyle hey is it really a drumming if you gave him like three aside and he beat you by two yes it was two aside and and sean's better than i am sean is <laughs> sean's I, game is I did, I, tight <laughs> uh, i i handed it to him i there were a couple missed pots that i definitely regret yeah, Sean has Sean has many regrets. Uh, we now we, we played Glen Oak, uh, which you might remember is the course where DJ took that ridiculous line over the lake, and Speed had to go out to the right. Uh, and that was kind of like Kyle and I. Like Kyle's just bombing it by me. I'm trying to play like the control game. He was like decimating the golf course. <laughs> Dialed Your in. Your final pairing at the 2019 US Open in round four. Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth. Had I mean. 
it's out there. Like I, I don't I don't know if it's gonna happen. Those the, I mean, those are the two guys that if that if sort of you would look back over the last five years of of this course uh, in the you know regular PGA Tour event and say those guys have had the most success there. Man, I hope besides so listening to this, besides Ted Potter, hi Brooks. Besides <laughs> Ted Potter, the wizard. Ah, <laughs> uh, he is Sean Martin. We've got to let him get off to a Pilates class so you can get that core right, so you can. Straight. Strength and flexibility are key at my age. Strength and hey, flexibility. I've got some. I've got some Bikram yoga uh, set up for us in Monterey. So, looking forward to it. You can follow him on Twitter at PGA Tour S Martin. Sean, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Coming up on the other side, we'll have our perfect finish for the Canadian Open, and as promised, Canadian Open history lesson next. Are you still suffering from supply chain issues? Are they disrupting your operations? Well, have no fear because Graybar has you covered and you can rely on their nationwide logistics network to get what you need, where they need, when they need to get there. And all within budget. Graybar is a trusted and leading North American distributor of electrical communications, data networking, industrial products, literally supporting products of any industry, construction, hospitals, industrial plants, schooling. It doesn't matter. Just one clear mission to serve as that vital link in the supply chain, adding value for customers and suppliers with innovative solutions and services. So here's what you need to do. Visit graybar.com to start an order today. Visit graybar.com to start an order today and fix those supply chain issues with Graybar. 100 years ago at the Hamilton Golf and Country Club, uh, which, again, as, as we mentioned, this is a, a, a switch for the Canadian Open. The history lesson. Kyle, I'm pulled up next to the fireplace. I've got my evening tea and my after-dinner biscuits. Let's talk golf. Yeah, this is Ira Glass of NPR, and uh, we've got a... We've got a good story for you today. I can't, my brother does the Ira Glass voice and like the cadence, the cadence is hilarious. Like if you, if somebody else does it, it's really funny. Um, okay. So 1919 Canadian open at Hamilton golf and country club. I, I, I got way too deep into this because nobody cares, but I found it fascinating. There was this, this dude named James Douglas Edgar and he won the 1919 Canadian Canadian open by get this 16 strokes over Bobby Jones and two other guys, 16, 16 strokes. It was at the time a PGA tour record and it still stands. I think some, I think two other guys have tied it, but nobody's ever won a PGA tour event by more than 16. strokes. I can't even imagine what his strokes gain was on the field. I mean, I, I don't know how we would go back and calculate that. I guess if we've got the record books, we, we could do it, but uh, just an unbelievable performance. And this guy named Steve Eubanks uh, chronicled uh, Edgar and, and, and did, wrote a book about sort of about him back in 2010. And he said those in attendance knew, uh, knew that they had stood witness to history and showed their appreciation with a level of cheering never before heard at a sporting event in Canada. This was at the 1919 Canadian Open. I mean, this is, this is crazy. He won by 16 over Bobby Jones. And so this dude, you're like, okay, like what's, you know, what does his career look like? Like how did it play out? Well, he goes back 
and wins the 1920 Canadian Open as well. And then in 1921, he died. And this, as the story goes, he was he was a, apparently murdered. What? Yeah. So there was like this. It was weird. Like the, there's apparently pe- some people said it was a car accident, but there wasn't. There were no witnesses that like saw any cars, and he was just like found on the side of the road. And a lot of the stories are that he was like stabbed. Wow. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is somebody who, so Eubanks did this thing. Uh, he got, um, he found a quote from Harry Varden, who seven time major winner, uh, just an unbelievable golfer back in that day. And he Harry Varden said, Edgar, well, I will tell you, I believe this is a man who will one day be the greatest of us all. And that was in 1920 and he died in 1921. Was James Douglas Edgar Canadian, I guess? Uh, yeah, I believe so. And then, so he's he defends his homeland in 1919. And is, I mean, is Canada still run by Britain at that point? I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> no, uh, no James, James Douglas Edgar was uh, English. He wasn't Canadian. Wow. And he yeah. murdered at 21 after stunting on. All right, so if his, if he won by 16 over Bobby Jones, I'm going to guess his strokes gained against the field over under 27 and a half. Oh, it was uh, probably it was probably like 40. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy. And it, there's a, there's another great story. This is the last little piece I had on him, but uh, it says Eubanks shared a story of. Uh, Edgar contacting his uh, regular bookie in October 1920 and wagering $700 on himself that he would be the next Southern Open champion. So he wagers $700. He goes out and beats Bobby Jones again by two, and he only he only collects a thousand. That was first place money. That would be the equivalent of like Kepka going out and and putting down like an $800,000 bet on himself for Pebble or more than that actually, like 1.3 mil on himself. Um, I think we might, it, I, th- I think I've, going out and I've got it. lazy suspicions of how he was murdered or why he was murdered now. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, th- there's, <laughs> there's other dots there that I'm not like throwing out there out, out uh, of, out of respect for, uh, Doug Edgar. We're not going <laughs> to dig all the way into that, but that's fascinating, awesome. fascinating stuff though. So if, if he put $700 on himself, but he won $1,000 first place prize money. He probably made more money on his wager on himself than he did at the tournament. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. 100 yeah, years ago. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty interesting. I, I love going like really deep into some of that stuff because you know guys now are overcovered, but guys back then were undercovered. And uh, you, can, you can kind of... I don't know. You can find really interesting tidbits. All right. What's our stat of the day? Stat of the day. Uh, last five U.S. Opens. You may have seen this. I threw it out there on Twitter. How many guys do you think have made the cut at each of the last five U.S. Opens? I think it's four. Yeah, it's four. But the names on here are like I couldn't get over what I, I've just stared at them. For I, like, I promise I don't have it pulled up. Let me see if I can do it. Is Louis Oosthuizen in one of them? Yeah, he's one. Um... Last four U.S. Opens, Louis Oosthuizen. Oh, dang it. I last, I just remember. I was stuck on Oosty when I saw it. He <laughs> can give me the other three. So ZJ, yeah. which is hilarious. They've lost the course, but he made the cut. Uh, 
Jim Furyk, which is <laughs> yes, incredible. Yes. That's, that's unbelievable, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not unbelievable in the context of Jim Furyk, but unbelievable in the context of. I mean, what what is Jim Furyk fifty eight? No, he's not fifty eight. He's is Jim uh, Furyk seventy one? He, he's forty nine. He's forty nine. <laughs> but the in the in the context of golfer at his age with his at this point in his career where you know to to be on this short list still stunning yeah and and the fact that like he's not even playing in a lot of the other majors like he did, he hasn't played the masters the last two years wasn't in the open championship the last two years or the last three years and he goes so 14 at, at pinehurst he goes t12 t42 at chambers t2 at oakmont t23 at Aaron hills uh, and then T48 last year at Shinnecock. And, you know, my big deal with that is, like, he's so embroiled in, like, wrestling the Ryder Cup obligations. And and we saw that play out, right? Like, he didn't – he wasn't as successful in the last couple of years because so much goes into the Ryder Cup stuff that you just – you can't give your game the time it needs. And yet he's still making all these U.S. Open cuts. He's – He's actually solved. Uh, we talk about the Augusta Rubik's Cube. He solved the USGA Rubik's Cube. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, and then the last one is Kepka. What weird? That's tr- the guy. Yeah. The the guy who maybe is about to win a third straight U.S. Open. I know. So I remember in fourteen, he wasn't really like he wasn't a thing yet, but he played great at Pinehurst, and he was sort of the. Like we remember Fowler and Eric Compton finishing behind Keimer, but then Kepka was like right with them. And at, for me at the time, because I was kind of like, I was sort of, I mean, I, I was into him at the time just because I was into the story. He was he was transitioning onto the PGA Tour, and you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So he goes T4 at Pinehurst, T18 at Chambers, T13 at Oakmont, and then first and first at Aaron Hills and Shinnecock. I mean, that is that's sick that's five straight top 20s at at u.s opens with two wins i think he's pretty good i think (laughs) yeah he must be uh so those are your four guys the only four guys that have made the cut at the last five u.s opens and now it's time for the perfect finish brought to you by amstel light we are back here once again predicting projecting what would be the absolutely perfect finish the RBC Canadian Open. So, Kyle, what is your perfect finish for this week? My perfect finish for this week is Rory taking down Kepka late in the week and Kepka not carrying it all and basically just drafting off of Rory like a like a like a cyclist heading into <laughs> you know the the final the final hill uh, and then beating him by like twenty five at Pebble Beach. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say that my perfect finish is Dustin Johnson going back to back after all before Dustin Johnson noted Canadian open superstar, Johnny Vegas went back to back. And so I'm going to say that DJ does it again. I'm going to say he wins by three strokes again, only increasing the hype as he, uh, as he heads to Pebble beach. And if, if we're going to add just a little bit more perfection here, uh, let's just say that uh, at the post-round press conference when he's discussing his win, he discusses how uh, he really feels like he's found some good swings now that, uh, now that he's made some adjustments in his professional team. Mm. Did you see Alan Shipnuck's tweet on that? I did not, but I know that he's, he said, he's parted ways he, with Claude Harmon. 
he said, who's going to get Joey D in the divorce between, <laughs> uh, like with Kepka and DJ. <laughs> I w- I, I, uh, I would also take a, a Kepka DJ final pairing as a perfect. Yeah. Finish. A little, little pebble preview. Hey, you know who else went back to back at the Canadian open in a year that ended in 19. It's <laughs> Doug Edgar, James Douglas Edgar. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, the next few years play out better for DJ than they did for old uh, old Edgar. And that was the perfect finish brought to you by Amstel Light. Anytime that you're looking for uh, the refreshing taste with a perfect finish, that's when you're going to grab an Amstel Light. Uh, It's good uh, at any time, and especially when you're gathering around with friends after a long round. Amstel Light, it's the absolutely perfect finish. Um, Anything else from the notebook as we we put a wrap on the week? Nope, I'm empty. I'm excited about I'm excited about this Canadian Open. It's a great field. Uh, a lot of guys that are really kind of prepping for Pebble. And then I'm pumped about Pebble, man. I, I, I'm excited to get out there. I'm always excited to go to majors, but I've never been out to, to Carmel or Monterey. And I think we're going to get some golf in while we're out there. Should be beautiful. Should be a great U.S. Open. And uh, yeah, exciting couple of weeks coming up. He is Kyle Porter. You can follow him on Twitter at KylePorterCBS. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Kyle, thank you very much. Thanks, Chip.